0: In academic yeah. terms, typically what you do is you have this project, um, you, you fall in love with it, you do all the research, you find the answers, you publish them, and then you move on to the next thing, right? When it's, you're yeah. trying to commercialize a product, um, you launch this company, you hire all these employees, and you need to ensure that you have long-term funding to ensure that you're needing um, all, all the goals and the milestones uh, in the long run.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Denton's, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast, where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership, and the ecosystems supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Catalina Vasquez, co-founder and Chief Operating Officer of Nanostics Inc. I'm excited to talk to her today about her views on recent developments in the pharmaceuticals industry and oncology research. Welcome, Cata.
0: Thanks. Thank you for having me here. I'm very excited.
1: Can you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and about nanostics?
0: Absolutely. It's, it's a little bit of a long story. So um, uh, I graduated as a microbiologist and medical laboratory scientist in Colombia years and years ago. And, and there I also did a master's in microbiology and quality control. Later on, about 13 years ago, I immigrated to Canada with my husband and my son, who at the time was one and a half. And uh, after I studied English, I did my master's with Dr. John Lewis in medical biophysics with uh, emphasis in molecular imaging in the fields of breast cancer and prostate cancer. And that's where the passion for cancer research really developed because I didn't have the chance to work in cancer back in Colombia. I decided not to go for a PhD, but to stay with my master's degree, Uh, and I became uh, the lab manager for for John's uh, research lab in in London, Ontario. Later on, he decided to move to Edmonton. He was recruited uh, by the University of Alberta, and I decided to stay in London, where I worked for uh, an extra year as project manager for investigator-initiated trials at the London Regional Cancer Programme. And, um, after that year, uh, this great opportunity to move to Edmonton, uh, came. I decided to, to move with my family to take uh, the position as the director of the Alberta Prostate Cancer Research Initiative, uh, where I worked for about four years. And as a result of that initiative, we ended up spinning off a company called Nanostics and, uh, and another company called Entos. And I have been the chief operating officer and co-founder of Nanostics for the last three to four years.
1: Well, that's very fun. What, what was the catalyst? So once you started studying um, in, in cancer, what was the catalyst for the interest specifically in prostate cancer as an area of focus for your research? You mentioned that it came out of an initiative by the Alberta Prostate Cancer Research Initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so actually,
0: I, I didn't find the field of cancer, the, the field. Found it. I yes. Uh, so when I when I finished my English studies, I was offered this opportunity to do um, like an internship in a, in a lab. And, and and when I met with the with the uh, leaders of the initiative, I asked to be placed in a microbiology lab. Uh-huh. However, they found in me a prostate cancer research lab. So at the time i was shocked i'm like okay they they really don't relate but i was very <laughs> grateful for the opportunity so i said you know what let's take the opportunity let's start working in cancer and if i don't like it i can i can ask for another internship in a different lab uh, after all but but i was lucky to have fallen into this amazing lab with this wonderful team with the, this wonderful visionary pi and i decided to st- to stay on it so I did my master's, as I mentioned before, in breast cancer and prostate cancer, and, and then I was hired to work uh, in the Alberta Prostate Cancer Research Initiative, which was focused mainly in prostate cancer. But fortunately, I, I had this opportunity to work with this team with a very broad vision, which resulted in us working not only in, ca- in the cancer field per se, but on platform technologies that are actually currently being validated for cancer and other diseases. For example, so we founded Nanostics uh, because we developed these prostate cancer tests that we're currently validating. However, Nanostics is a platform technology company that allows us to develop and validate new diagnostic tests for multiple diseases. So we're working on other diseases. Uh, for example, we're working with developing a COVID-19 test uh, in, in, in collaboration with uh, Bruce Rich's lab with Sage Lacey at the University of Alberta. Sorry, of Calgary. And, and we're also working on uh, immunotherapy tests, on uh, neurology um, disease tests, etc. cetera. And, and then if we go for COD, so for, for the other company, Entos, uh, it also started um, uh, developing a, a drug for, for metastasis, mainly, but it has pivoted to develop
1: a COVID 19 vaccine. Um- I want to touch a little bit on on the I want to come back to the pivots that you talked about, but I'll do that in a moment. Before we do that, I want to touch on the on the shift from sort of the academic side so you talked about how you know you're trained as a microbiologist but then you were offered this opportunity to work in a in a cancer um, realm what what's the shift from from being an academic so doing some you know, lab work, um, to developing clinical studies to commercialize the research that that is learned academically. What are the challenges associated with moving from pure academics to a commercial application? Excellent question.
0: Uh, okay, so I can see a uh, uh on a, on a line of thought, there are very strong similarities, uh, but then on the other line of thought, there are differences. So, on, on the one side of things, we need to take care of funding at uh, both the yeah. academic and the commercial side of things. Stakeholder management is very important. Communication timelines and milestones are important on, on, both, on, on both sides. But on the other side, uh, when you start working on a commercial application, we also need to think more like super, super long-term. In academic terms, typically what you do is you have this project, um, you you fall in love with it, you do all the research, you find the answers, you publish them, and then you move on on to the next thing, right? When you're trying to commercialize a product, um, you launch this company, you hire all these employees, and you need to ensure that you have long-term funding to ensure that you're meeting um, all all the goals and the milestones uh, in the long run. So securing that funding is, is, is challenging. Um, another thing is also to secure partnerships to move uh, the learnings from the lab to the clinic. And, yeah. and I think one, one of the biggest and, and the newest challenges to us when we started uh, was to be able to learn and implement all the regulatory and quality standards in what to me is a fearfully fast pace. So yeah. we need to ensure the product we develop is of high quality and that it does what we claim it does to ensure the safety of the patients and, and that we're giving them the results they deserve in a timely manner. So so this, this has been, to me, the biggest
1: challenge. That's that's interesting. And I think that, um, you know, pure academics, as you say, you're really focused. Uh, this is obviously a complete oversimplification, but you're really focused on what are the results and what can I publish from that? And perhaps there are some patents that can be um, applied for to protect that intellectual property but that's kind of often where it stops whereas obviously on the commercialization pathway you want ideally your product to get to market and then once it gets to market you want it to have that competitive advantage you want it to stay in the market and and so the even the you know the marketing i, I don't think that very many academic labs think so much or or don't think very long-term about the marketing implications. Whereas obviously for a commercial venture, the marketing and the business development obviously becomes a really key component to how you keep that product, um, you know, in the market long-term. So you've touched a little bit on this in terms of the importance of partnerships. And I, I, I you mentioned obviously early on that Nanostics had partnered with the Alberta cancer foundation and you've spoken, uh, previously about, to me anyways, about some collaboration amongst other researchers to help sort of test the product. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about those collaborations and how important is that partnership aspect uh, in the commercialization process? Yes. So this is a very collaborative story. Alberta has been
0: uh, phenomenal at developing partnerships to allow us to be where we are right now. So to begin with, the Alberta Prostate Cancer Research Initiative was born as a partnership between the Bird Dogs, a group of philanthropists, and the Alberta Cancer Foundation, who partnered to uh, raise the necessary dollars to bring a chair in prostate cancer research to Alberta. And that is Dr. John Lewis. Later on, after he was brought in, um, we had a series of consultation meetings um, facilitated by the Alberta Cancer Foundation with a truly multidisciplinary team to be able to focus on what were the, going to be the goal of the of the research for um, for the next five years, if you will. And and that's where we decided to focus on developing a new diagnostic test for prostate cancer and also a new um, therapeutic sorry, therapeutic agent uh, for for prostate cancer and for metastasis in general. So as you can imagine, the amount of partnerships that were generated to be able to make this happen were were huge. But then after we grew the Alberta prostate cancer registry and biorepository, uh, we have recruited over 4,000 men in Alberta. So imagine like the collaboration, the the buy-in from from the men in Alberta was great. And thanks to them, we were able to establish this huge biobank. And then we have shared more than several thousand samples with the world, with multiple labs to develop these new tests for prostate cancer. And it turned out that through these experiments, um, Dr. John Lewis's platform, when using the samples from Mark Kerry, uh, we were able to develop these very accurate tests uh, to predict prostate cancer and its aggressiveness. Then after wow. that, we decided yeah. to launch a company that is Nanostix, And... Again, we were very, very fortunate to have the support from a ton of partners. So so we were able to support, to partner with the Alberta Cancer Foundation, with DynaLife, and with um, and with the government of Alberta through this program called Asbiri um, to be able to bring all of our instruments, the clinical instruments, to DynaLife and have their own medical lab technologies run the test for us. And that is a huge wow. help they provided us with because... It is, it is some sort of validation. So one thing is to run the test in, in your own small lab at the University of Alberta. But then another thing is to have a clinical lab with clinical people run your test. And they were instrumental yes. to help us develop our standard operating procedures, all the forms, all the validation that needed to take place for a test to actually make it in the clinic. And then, uh, yeah, the collaborations continue. Right uh, now, so we're, we're trying to find partners, for example, in the United States uh, for the clinical trial. So we were able to run the study here in, in, in partner sites in Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, we also have a site in Whitehorse, and we're opening new sites with uh, some very prestigious universities of the United States and, and some other clinics in the United States. So, again, this speaks to the need uh, to collaborate and partner uh, to be able to, to, to validate and, and venture into the commercialization field.
1: That's that's really interesting. And I, I wonder, you know, there's there's a lot of industries where people wouldn't necessarily collaborate because the people that they would collaborate with potentially are their competitors. Is it common in, in this uh, diagnostic and, and medical field that you would see this level of collaboration? Or is this something that's unique to Nanostics experience?
0: No, I think, I think- See both both sides of the coin, if you will. Um, obviously, our biggest collaborators, w- sorry, our biggest competitors, will not um, divulge any of their secrets for for fear of right, competition. Right. But at the same time, there are many, many for for every uh, competitor, there are ten other uh, groups, either academic or, or or based in industry, that are willing to collaborate and to find common oh. ground. In fact. Um, I can tell you, at uh, Nanostics, we, we have at least 10 to 15 uh, collaboration projects going on, uh, both with academia uh, from a- around the world, but also with industry.
1: Oh, that's, that's really positive to hear. I want to turn now to the sister company of Nanostics, which is, as you've mentioned, Entos. You mentioned that it was working on a therapy for prostate cancer why was it important to separate the diagnostics research that Nanostics was doing from the therapeutics aspect?
0: Well, it, it, it just keeps things clean, more more clean, and okay. more, more like easily tackled, right? So um, yeah. there are differences between um, a medical device, which is what we're trying to, to develop at Nanostics, and, and a therapeutic agent. It, the regulations... If, if you will, the, the, uh, the regulatory agencies are the same. Some of the standards uh, to follow uh, are very similar, but there are some other fundamental differences. So, and so we felt at the time that it was better to keep them uh, separate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at yeah. the same time, I must tell you that we also diverge and collaborate uh, a lot. So for example, oh, okay. um, uh, so right now we are co-developing a test uh, for COVID-19 between uh, ENTOS and Diagnostics. Uh, so okay. so there's partnership yep. around that. Uh, but also at the same time, um, so Nanofix has been working a little bit um, um, for a longer time in the validation process. We started our clinical validation study over a year ago, whereas Anthos was uh, in the preclinical state getting ready to launch uh, their, their oncology uh, drug uh, by 2021. So when when uh, there was the decision to to work on a on a COVID vaccine was made by COVID, uh, and Analytics immediately jumped in also to help uh, with documentation. We already had developed a lot of templates, a lot of doc- documents, forms, uh, a quality management system. Uh, we had uh, some um, uh, some software in place that we were using. So what we have been doing is sharing some of that pre learned. Uh, knowledge and we're sharing it with Entos to to help them get a head start with the vaccine development.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So, so basically, <clears throat> some of the the work that was done by Nanostics on behalf of the uh, diagnostic aspect has been able to be shared or or translated um, into for for Entos's benefit on the on the therapeutic side. Um, And so what one company learns, as I guess you've alluded to previously with the partnerships, uh, there's really a a, a nice synergy between the two companies and you can really share some of the benefits of the learnings that that one has um, for the benefit of the other. Let's just talk a little bit about uh, the the pivot um, that, that Entos is doing. Obviously, this is very topical in the in the pandemic world that we're living in. So you talked about how Entos was originally was working on a therapy and it has evolved into working on a vaccine um, for, for COVID-19. How does such a significant pivot like movie, or at least it seems like a significant pivot Significant pivot uh, to me, where you move from a completely new therapy, um, moving to the the COVID nineteen vaccine. How does that affect the ongoing work that Entos or any other research company in such a highly regulated industry is doing on the original work of the therapies for prostate cancer? How do they balance that?
0: That's a good question. Uh, I don't even know how we balance that. <laughs> um, no, actually, to be serious. Um, uh, no, yes. As I mentioned before, uh, the, the group at Entos, uh, uh, up until the beginning of this year, was a purely research and development team made of scientists working on the, on the oncology drug that the yep. team was getting ready to, to start clinical work by 2021. So they still mm-hmm. had, like, at the beginning of this year, one more year to work on this. And then COVID hit. And it turns out Entos has this very neat platform. So it, we call it a proteolipid vehicle. And, and it really is what it is is, 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 a, is a' a nanoparticle that is a lipid a lipid membrane with a protein inserted in the in the membrane but it's hollow so basically you you could in theory put anything it. so it could be DNA it could be like genetic, genetic material it could be rna it could be um, I don't know chemotherapeutic agency or some other drugs right and and what is neat yeah. about the technology is that the protein that is inserted in the membrane, when it becomes in contact with the with the target cell, be it a cancer cell or, or be it a different type of cell, it causes the cell membrane to open, like to open a door. So then, oh. whatever is is cargoed by this nanoparticle is delivered directly into the cell. So, and, oh, and we knew cool. that this this vehicle was uh, could be a very potential. Uh, sorry, a very, very potent vaccine. Like he, we could use it to develop, develop a very potent vaccine. So so uh, John Lewis, uh, being the visionary he is, he decided to uh, spin and and, and start uh, creating the vaccine. So um, I must tell you that this is happening at a tremendous fast pace, but yes. without forgetting about the development of the, of the oncology drug so, and, and some other projects, very exciting projects we're working on. So uh, we have been hiring tens of new people uh, (laughs) to the team. Uh, The the speed has increased by a a 1,000%, and and I think that is uh, an understatement. Um, But no, it's been a very exciting, challenging. Uh, We have brought uh, tremendous expertise from from, uh, all across Canada and North America, um, and the team is working very well together. So it's... um, it's very challenging as you can imagine. Um, everyone is working overtime. Um, but uh, but obviously everyone believes in this and we wanna do the best we can. So so yeah, it's been exciting.
1: Wow, that is that is exciting. And it's also exciting that the way that you described that, which was was very uh, very simple for, for those of us who aren't all that scientifically minded. Um, it, it it really highlights that it's, it's really the platform. And so if the platform is able to adequately deliver, as you, you called it, the cargoed material, so whether that's, you know, a vaccine or whether that's, you know, DNA or whatever, um, it's still actually relevant for other therapies as well, right? So that's, I think, I think part of why it must, it must, you know, there's some good overlap that even though it's pivoted, <clears throat> um, the company is still still true to its mission of, of what it was studying in the, in the first place. So, That's a that that's almost lucky. That's great. Um, I want to talk about the clinical trial for a moment. Um, So from a clinical trial perspective, how does the clinical trial for a diagnostic or a medical device compare to a therapeutic intervention? So a drug or a vaccine is is one faster or slower to get through the regulatory process?
0: a yeah, very good question. So, and and I mentioned how you mentioned uh, intervention, and I'll go to the mm-hmm. intervention portion in, in a little while. Uh, but uh, yes, so right now we have two different standards. So pre-COVID and post-COVID. So if we <laughs> if we talk about the COVID era, everything is going yeah. faster, right? Both for yeah. for both um, a therapeutic and in a in a in a diagnostic. So the FDA, for example, has generated or has created this this model. Um, uh, for em- emergency use authorization of both uh, uh, drugs and tests so and uh, I'll tell you is is uh, it's almost at light speed but uh, yeah there are, there are differences between non-interventional uh, studies which is our our um, diagnostics so, so for us to validate clinically, uh, the, our diagnostic, uh, we run a, a study, not a clinical trial, but a clinical study.
1: Okay. And, and yep. the
0: main difference between this is ours is non-interventional. So how does it look like? Uh, we we uh, partner with a biostatistician and, and, and with a multidisciplinary team that um, helps us develop uh, this protocol. And they tell us uh, the sample size, so how many patients we need to validate our test? In our case, for example, uh, we're validating it in, in 2,800 uh, men. Uh, so mm-hmm. we know that some of them will be diagnosed with prostate cancers and some one, and that's why we need such a large sample size. And then what we do then is we, we present the study to our patients and, and ask them uh, if they want to participate. And if so, they give us a blood sample. And access to the clinical data. And then we send those samples to Dynalize to be processed as part of the clinical study. And then yeah. uh, and then we analyze the results of the of the of the testing with the clinical data to see how good our test is to predict if a patient has cancer and if a patient has aggressive prostate cancer that needs treatment. So mm-hmm. so obviously we need to follow the same um clinical guidelines, good clinical practice, for example, uh, but then there are some other standards that are different, in particular because the vaccine study, for example, or the oncology study, when we start, when we started, um, are going to be interventional, which means that we will be giving a drug to the participant, being the cancer right. drug or being the vaccine, and and with right. that come the potential of having have side effects. So these, these right. patients can develop a, a wide variety of side effects. Uh, obviously, we do preclinical studies uh, in, the, in the drug side of things to ensure um, that this drug is safe um, in mice, in, in, in non-human primates, etc., um, etc., cetera, et cetera. So so we have a good understanding of the safety of the drug. However, it is impossible to predict what is going to happen when you start first in humans, which is what we're going to do with the vaccine. So I I think the main difference are associated with that interventional portion of, of the clinical studies that we're doing. Mm.
1: And then and then obviously, what follows from that is depending on what the you know what the the side effects are, for example, or the adverse events or whatever happens, then then you need to follow up on that. And the pace, we I mean, we've seen that in the news, certainly in this pandemic era where some clinical trials have been halted um, because of maybe some unexpected results, and they want to obviously be careful that they don't replicate those results in in other patients. And so I think they, they need to build in a little, a little more time uh, to just anticipate and, and analyze what those, what those results are. Whereas on the diagnostic side, um, you don't, you don't have that sort of added layer of, of complication.
0: Absolutely. And, and another thing is, is the sample size. So as I mentioned, for mm-hmm. for for our uh, diagnostic study, we're recruiting twenty eight hundred patients. Uh, on the other side, for the vaccine trial, we're doing uh, for phase one, we're doing seventy two patients. For phase two, we're doing five hundred, but then for phase three, we, we would likely have to recruit at least thirty thousand,
1: and could go oh, as wow. high as a
0: hundred thousand participants. Towards. Right. Yeah. But, and that comes yeah. with an associated high cost.
1: Oh, of course, of course, and and you know, like I mean, all all research is a bit of a gamble, and 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 you're betting on you know on something that you don't know. But there's so many bets, obviously, when when humans are involved, and the cost is so high, and the sample size needs to be. Um, that high as well. So just the just the the cost burden um, is so significantly higher because of the sample size that you know that you need to achieve.
0: Absolutely, and then the follow up is, is massive too. So you need to bring your yes. patients back. For example, for the phase one, we we bring them back six times in in the first forty two days. So each of the patient has to be followed closely to ensure they're safe, they're okay.
1: Yeah! Wow. Um, just moving on a little bit from the clinical trials so once I guess the clinical study in the case of nanostics is is complete what's the next hurdle for a company like nanostics to getting the product to market?
0: good question uh, yes so so right now for example even even before um, we uh, we finalize the clinical studies what we're doing is we're trying to find, uh, these commercialis- commercialization partner in the United States and, and in other mm-hmm. countries that, that will help us bring this product to the market. So that, that's a big challenge. Uh, but uh, we're, we're having uh, some very good leads, at least in the United States. Um, and then after that, you find a partner, then we will need to find the resources and to build uh, a Salesforce team. So, and that is massive. I, I was surprised. I didn't know this. I, I just learned this about six months ago. The amount of money you need to build this sales force and to do all the marketing and sales um, plans and to execute them is, is, is huge. It's, it's way more expensive than whatever we have spent so far.
1: Wow. So you've got to really plan for the, I guess, a capital raise to allow the funding to uh, to then move on to the next stage, so so really nothing's easy, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, it, it's not easy, but it's also very exciting. So yeah, yes. every every new thing. I I am I'm I'm a perpetual learner. So if if oh, you have great. me learning new stuff, I'm I'm there and I'm happy. So all. To- me, all this is just very exciting. It never ends. It just continues, and and is the next step. And what is the next step? What are the challenges that are coming? And what is the new learning that I can get from that? So it's very cool.
1: Well, that's uh, that is exciting, and it's exciting to watch. And obviously, you know the especially I think in in a pandemic, the need for healthcare tools, whether that's diagnostics or interventions or therapies. I think the world's eyes have been opened uh, quite wide with the need for that. Uh, so I think, uh, I think lots of people have some empathy for the, for the hurdles and the challenges that, uh, that the companies need to overcome to be successful. Where can our listeners find out more about Nanostics?
0: Yeah, we have a very nice webpage. It's called nanosticsbx.com. So there is some information there and then we also have a contact us uh, session. So if you have any other questions that you would like to be addressed, uh, don't hesitate to email us at uh, uh and then we can respond to you.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It was really interesting to find out the inside track of how, Diagnostics and therapeutics come to market, and I'm sure we'll all be watching with interest both on Nanostics Diagnostic as well as on Entos's vaccine. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.